Well, good morning. Uh, very excited to be here at uh, God's Church here in Frederick. Um, I, as been said, I uh, live in Mount Airy, but I actually just work right over here uh, near Westview. So Frederick is a common place to find me uh, anyway. So I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, I have a message from John 10. So if you've got your Bible and want to turn to John 10, I'm going to read from verses 22 through 30, but we're really going to be focusing on verses 27 through 30. So just a couple of verses to give you context. So I think they're going to put those up on the screen here. Um, So if you got your Bible, read along with me. Uh, We're going to start John 10, verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray you be here this morning at this church that you've established in Frederick. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit down on this church, Lord, and pour it through me that I might speak your words, Lord. Give me clear thinking and clear words to communicate your message for this church here in Frederick. Pray this all in your son's holy name. Amen. So, um, for those of you who don't know me, which is, I think, all of you, um, I have uh, seven children. So, I have a very busy life at my home. Uh, And we have a tradition in our home on Christmas morning uh, that the kids, all seven of them now, aren't allowed downstairs until uh, my wife and I, her name's Justy, uh, decide that we're ready. And ready for us means uh, we've had our coffee, we've gotten dressed so that we look decent in pictures, um, we've let the dog out, um, fed the dog, and we like to kind of drag this out. So we, we pen our kids, I think they're going to put a picture up here, at the top of our stairs, um, and we don't let them down. And, and, we, and we like to mill around in the downstairs as we get our coffee and take care of the dog and build a little anticipation for them. Uh, you know, we might wander into the living room where our Christmas tree is and, and go, oh my goodness, look at all these presents. I, did we forget any? How did we even get that one in the room? And just kind of get them all riled up until they just can't stand it anymore. And they're standing at the top of the gate and they just, I feel like they're going to break the gate and throw it down the stairs. And then when, when they can't, uh, you know, they're hooting and hollering and they can't take it anymore, we let them go and they come down and Christmas morning begins and it's a, it's a wonderful time for our family. In this passage this morning, Jesus doesn't want to build suspense. He's, he's been talking to this group and he has uh, been telling them who he is and they haven't been getting it. And he wants to tell them clearly and build no suspense, build suspense no longer. They keep coming to him and and saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? 
And he answers quickly and says, I told you already, but you didn't hear me. So if you came this morning wondering who Jesus is, I believe that he wants to tell you very clearly this morning who he is. And if you know who he is, I think he wants to encourage you again who he is and what it means to follow him. There's no suspense, no surprises to be revealed later. He's going to tell us clearly. So my main point this morning, our eternity is secured because Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep and gives us eternal life. So a little background on this passage. Um, you can kind of see it from what we read. Uh, he's been talking to this group of, of Jews. And now these are not mostly not his followers. If you read further into the next passage, uh, this group actually stones him and runs him off uh, in the very next verse. So this isn't, these aren't his disciples. These aren't his followers. These are people that don't know him. And mixed in with them is a, are some Pharisees who are trying to entrap him. Um, in previous verses, he uh, has done some healing, and the Pharisees aren't happy about this. And so they're trying to trap him and catch him in, you know, the law uh, that they think they know so much better than him and, uh, and find a reason to run him off. As he's been talking, he's come, come back to this metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd a couple of times. And this will be the final time. Uh, and as I said, he wants to communicate very clearly in this metaphor who he is and who we are. So he's going to get straight to the point. So if we look at the verses 27 and 30. So if you have your Bible open, keep it open because I'm going to go back to this several times. Uh, he continues on this uh, metaphor of the sheep and his flock uh, in 27 through 30. So if I read that again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So what is he telling us here? I think he's telling us two very simple things. He's telling us, who he is, he is the good shepherd, and who we are, we are sheep. So those are our two main points we're going to look at. Who is the good shepherd? Who is Jesus? And who are we? We are the sheep. Understanding who Christ is and who we are is life-changing. It is the most life-changing and the only truly life-changing relationship that one can have. And again, he's going to tell us who he is and who we are. Nothing left to chance. He's going to speak clearly. No suspense. So let's get started. Who is Christ? Christ is the good shepherd. And I have three characteristics that I think he teases out. Uh, first is that he is the God shepherd. Uh, second is that he's the knowing shepherd. And third, he's the life-giving shepherd. So, let's jump in. The God Shepherd. So I get this from verse 30, which is the last verse in this section that we read. But I think it sets a foundation. So, you look at verse 30, it says, I and the Father are one. I think this is fundamental because everything else builds on the fact that He is God. He is one with the Father. He is holy. He's perfect in every way. Without sin or blemish. 
He's all-knowing and all-powerful just like the Father. And He is intimately familiar with all of His creation. He speaks nothing but truth and acts with righteousness always. He's declaring that He is God with all the attributes and power that comes with it. He is everywhere, all the time, fully, throughout history, at all times present, past, and future, with all of the powers and attributes of God. He is God and He is fully God. So this is important because as we go through the other attributes, you look at, so he's the knowing shepherd. If he knows us and he's not God, what, what difference does that make? What consequence or importance does that have? If Jesus isn't God, how can he claim to give us eternal life? So let's be clear. Jesus is claiming he is one with the Father. He is God. So the words that he has to say are therefore the words of God. The Son who is sent here to earth by His Father. When He speaks, we need to listen. When He makes claims, there's no doubt in their veracity. They are true. When He tells us who He is and what we, and who we are, we need to believe it. So nothing left to chance. Jesus is not mincing words. And this is the statement that gets Him run off. Right? For Him to say He is God in front of this group of Pharisees and Jews who are not His followers... That is, that is a bold claim and, and one that is heresy to them. There's no being around the bush. He says it clearly. I and the Father are one. So his authority is established. He's one with the Father. He is the God shepherd. He's almighty. He created and holds the universe in his hands. He is all powerful. And yet, what else do we learn? He knows his sheep. Read verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. The God shepherd with all the power and wisdom of the universe knows lowly sheep. Why would he bother to know lowly sheep? The all-powerful and wise God shepherd is also the knowing shepherd. So on to my second point. Jesus, the good shepherd, is the knowing shepherd. So verse 27, I, I just love this verse because it, is, it doesn't say what you think it is going to say. You read it again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Isn't that the opposite of what you think he's going to say? Don't we expect him to say, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. As in, they recognize my voice. They come and follow me because they've heard a call, and they know who I am, and they want to follow. When I call my dog, he comes because he hears my voice, and he recognizes my voice and correlates it to things that he knows come when he hears my voice. He's going to go outside and play, or I'm going to feed him, generally feeding. That's, that's generally what I think he thinks. It's his recognition of my voice that causes him to come. But that's not what Jesus says here. Jesus says something different. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He doesn't say that we know him, because on our own, we don't know him. It is Jesus who first knows us that allows us to know him and to follow. It is his initiation, both in the call of his voice and the knowing of our souls and our whole lives, that allow us to follow and be saved. Before we can know Jesus, Jesus must know us. Our relationship with Christ is defined first by his relationship with us. We cannot know Jesus unless he first knows us. 
As with all things with God, his knowledge of us is perfect. He knows us completely. Better than our best friend, better than our our spouse, better than ourselves. This is where the power and authority claim in being one with the Father comes into play. His claim of knowing us is unique in only the way the Creator can know His creation. And of course, we know that we as humans are unique among His creation and that we are image bearers of God. God knows all of His creation completely down to the cellular level and beyond, and humanity in particular has taken that specific notice of and uniquely identified as His image bearers on earth. Take a look at Psalm 139 and consider how He knows us. So verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your books. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Look at this description. Hear the detail and care that is put into each and every one of us. We aren't stamped out in mass production. We are formed and knitted together, one intricate piece and movement at a time. There are no mistakes or errors. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There are no surprises in what is made. No secrets. Nothing's hidden. God is aware and can see all of our parts. He saw us completely even before we were fully formed. It doesn't stop in the womb. He knows all of our days. Every one. They were written and formed by God. In some ways, this can be very encouraging. God knows us intricately. But if you're like me, it's a little terrifying. There's parts of me that I'm not really interested in anybody knowing. There's things about me I don't tell anyone. My unbelief, my shame, my fears, and my failures. He knows my selfishness, my laziness, and my arrogance and unwillingness to admit weakness or need. When I get angry at my children, I don't put these out on display for all to see. I cover them up. I mask them so no one can see them. That isn't how I want to be known, particularly... To the God of the universe, the holy God who is without blemish? I don't want him to see my failures, my sin. I don't want him to know me that well. But he does. He knows me. He knows all about me. Better than I know myself. There's no covering it up, no hiding it. We are fully known and exposed to God. No secrets. Nothing is hidden. Knowing you then completely as God, the knowing shepherd does, what should we expect? Knowing ourselves as we do, knowing us better, he knows us better. What, what do you think his opinion would be of us? How should we be treated? I know I would not be looking forward to that evaluation. I would expect to be kicked out of the flock. Foolish, disobedient sheep, sent out and picked off by the wolves or starve. But that isn't what happens. He does the complete opposite. Instead of kicking us out of the flock, he assures us of eternal life. Look at what it says in the next verse, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What? Why? 
Why would he give sheep that he clearly and completely knows that are full of disobedience and disappointment? Why would you give them eternal life? It should say, I give them eternal death and they perish instantly because that is what they deserve. But that isn't what it says. It says, I give them, that he gives us eternal life. So point three, Jesus, the good shepherd, he is the life-giving shepherd. So look again at verse 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who, gives, who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. These sheep he fully knows, he gives eternal life. He doesn't give them, he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives them eternal life that we know is in heaven with the Father, with no sin, no pain, no brokenness, no sickness, only joy and completeness with the Creator. When the day of judgment comes, Jesus will on that day say to his Father, I know that sheep, I know that sheep, I know these sheep. Each sheep by name, ensuring the safety of those sheep from what they deserve, the eternity of punishment that they deserve. That is what we love to call amazing grace. With all that he knows, he has nothing but grace and mercy on us. The complete opposite of what we deserve. But that's not all. He, along with God the Father, have secured the eternal life such that none of the sheep, once part of the flock, can be lost, can be snatched away. Cannot be lost. After giving us eternal life we don't deserve, he has guaranteed that there's no way we can lose it. There's no way it can be lost. These aren't idle promises of someone who can't deliver. Remember, these are the promises of God, the all-powerful God of the universe. I and the Father are one. When he guarantees it, there's no, there's no greater promise than security. There is no snatching. Paul describes the same security in Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul spells it out. Who can snatch eternal life away from us? Who can snatch us from the life-giving shepherd? Can death snatch us? Nope, can't snatch us. Can angels snatch us? Angels, who we have seen throughout the Bible, show enormous power over the things of creation. No power here. They can't snatch us. Can anything currently around us in the present snatch us? Nope, nothing in the present can snatch us. And in case you were wondering, nothing in the future can snatch us either. No powers, no distance, no government, no corporation can't snatch us. That doesn't separate us. And just in case you think of anything else, let's just cover all of that and say nothing in all of creation can snatch us away from the love of God. Snatch us out of his hand from the eternal life he has given us. I think that's a pretty exhaustive list. If you're like me, though, I always have one worry left, and that's me. Now, I know I'm part of creation, so that's pretty well covered. But as we talked about before, knowing me as well as God knows me, I'm not looking so good. How can we be assured of this security? This security can survive our own blunders and mistakes. How do I know it can't be lost because of what I do or don't do? How do I know that I can't mess it up and lose the promise of eternal life? 
I can know this because it isn't dependent on me. It is dependent on Christ. He went to the cross for my sin and paid the price. He knew me on that cross, and he knew all of my sin on that cross. He bore the punishment. He felt each one. Knowing me, and knowing me as well as he does, knowing all my flaws, he still chose me and chose to bear the punishment and promises me an eternal life secured by his works, not my own. I think J.I. Packer says this really well in his book, Knowing God. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion me, disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Utterly realistic. God doesn't think more of me than I deserve, so he isn't ever surprised when I mess up. He knows exactly what he's getting with me. He knows the worst about me and what I'm going to do. So he isn't going to make some new discovery about me and be disappointed. He already knows. He doesn't get down on me the way I get down on myself. There's no surprises. Just like I said, we talked about uh, from the Psalms, there's nothing hidden. He knows it. And he already forgave it. What a relief. This is the shepherd who gives eternal life. He gives it to lowly sheep. That he doesn't, that he knows don't deserve. Because he is full of grace and mercy for them. What a picture of Christ. He is one with the Father. He's fully God. He knows his sheep fully by name and completely with no surprises. And he has fully secured eternal life for his sheep. No snatching. This is the picture of God's miraculous grace for his sheep. No suspense, no secrets here. Jesus has laid out a clear picture of who he is. He is God, he knows his sheep, and he gives them eternal life. Now, he's going to tell us about us, about his sheep, who we are. He has told us who he is. Now, who are we? So, who are we? We are sheep. Again, I have three subpoints here. We are sheep. We are sheep who hear. And we are sheep who follow. So let's start with the obvious. We are sheep. This isn't meant to flatter us, in case you were confused. Jesus isn't describing us in kind terms. He's making it clear where we sit on the spectrum of things. He is God, fully God, all-powerful, creator of all things. And we are sheep. We're very helpless. Without the shepherd, we would soon perish. Lest you think highly of yourself, this description is meant to reset your view. Give you a more proper context of how God views you. And it's not flattering. Jesus used the metaphor in sheep in many places to describe those whom he has been sent. Consider that this isn't by accident. Jesus could have picked any animal or anything in all of creation for these metaphors. After all, he did create it all. He's familiar with every animal that could be an option. He could have picked a powerful lion, which is feared, strong, and deadly. Or maybe an eagle that is beautiful and soars majestically in the sky. But no, very often he uses sheep. Throughout the Old and New Testament, really, perhaps more than anything else, to describe those he came to save and those who follow him. So let's consider a sheep. 
Sheep are not fearsome and are not particularly strong. They have no claws or sharp teeth to defend themselves. They aren't fast. They are easily outrun and caught by their predators, of which they have many. And they aren't particularly majestic or beautiful to look at. Nor does their appearance help them in the wild. Consider that they are glaringly white, sticking out in their environment, quite literally signaling to be hunted. Sheep also aren't all that intelligent. If left to their own, they will eat all the grass in an area and then die of starvation. If they are not shorn, their coats will grow matted and thick and cause all kinds of infections. So you feeling flattered? Is Jesus being clear about who we are? Is he holding you in suspense about his views of your capabilities as a sheep? Your strength, your beauty, what you bring to this relationship with him. You are a meager sheep, helpless and dependent on a shepherd. No suspense, not pulling any punches here. It's not talking in code. You are a sheep. Get comfortable with your wool and sheepishness. Sheep need a shepherd to ward off danger, to protect them from themselves, to provide direction and care. This is not to say that the good shepherd doesn't value sheep. Clearly, as we've already seen, he does value his sheep highly, taking the time to form and know them completely and give them eternal life. It is to reiterate what we saw above, the value is undeserved. We are sheep, we need a shepherd. Thankfully, we have the good shepherd. So what do we see of the sheep in this passage? What do we learn about ourselves? We see the sheep that although not particularly capable, they can hear. They are not deaf. They can hear the voice of the good shepherd, the voice of Jesus. So on to my next point, sheep who hear. So verse 27 again. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Praise God, we aren't deaf sheep. We can hear the voice of the good shepherd. Hearing the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, is the sheep's somewhat passive action to his calling because they are his sheep and he knows them by name. So even what we learn about the sheep, it's really Jesus who is doing the action. A shepherd calls out to his sheep to bring them back to the fold and lead them for their own good and purpose. A call from the good shepherd from Jesus, however, is unique. The call from Jesus is irresistible. It requires a response from the one who is called. There's no ignoring it. For this call is from your creator, from the king. It's really a summons to come before Christ and proclaim your allegiance to him. To make the choice, if you will obey him, and as we'll talk about in a moment, to follow. This is the call on our hearts, and ultimately the only call that can change our hearts. There is no other call to know God which can actually, actually result in knowing God other than the invitation and calling of God himself. In John six forty four, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You have to be drawn by God. You can't come of your own accord. He must call you. You are the sheep that he knows, and he calls. We are not deaf sheep. This passage tells us we can hear his voice. So what is our response to this call that we hear? If we hear the call, then the response is simple and immediate, according to this passage. 
we follow. So third and final point, we are sheep who follow. Verse 27 again, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The response here is simple and immediate according to the passage. But as all of us in this room know, who call ourselves Christians, following can many times not be so simple or at least not so easy. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be led by the good shepherd? I would suggest first and foremost, it's recognizing and believing that our ability to follow is all because of God's grace. It's worth noting in this passage that this is the first and only time that we, the sheep, have done anything. All the activity up until now has been God. God has called us. God has known us. God has given us eternal life. The only thing we have done is listen for his call. And now finally, the sheep, those meager sheep, we act. And what do we do? Do we blaze new paths? Do we take the lead, the load on our shoulders and forge out on our own? No. We follow. For we are sheep and we need a shepherd to lead us. It's Jesus who knows us. It's Jesus who gives us eternal life. He, he gives these gifts to us all out of grace. He leads, we follow. Before we, the sheep, take any other actions, we need to realize that God knowing us is a gift of grace. That eternal life is a gift of grace. If we don't get this right, then we may confuse our actions of following as earning grace. Don't forget, you are sheep. Feel that wool on your neck again. Remember your meager capabilities as sheep. You didn't earn a relationship with a shepherd. He called you and knows you out of grace. You didn't impress him and somehow deserve eternal life. He gave you eternal life as a gift. So if we have that clear, there are also practical applications of following. And I think most importantly, it's to love what God loves and hate what God hates. We follow his example, we keep his commandments, we go where he calls us, and we do what he tells us to do. So God tells the truth. So we need to tell the truth. We don't exaggerate. We're honest and upstanding in all of our dealings. And we are open and transparent with our friends and family. God loves people, as we talked, those that don't deserve love. So we need to love those who are unloved and that society says don't deserve love. Those who aren't kind to us, those who aren't like us, those you don't like, that's who we're called to love. God is gentle and kind and full of grace. We need to be gentle and kind and full of grace. With our kids, kind, slow to anger, much patience. With our spouse or with our friends, charitable, grace-filled in our responses, and with our co-workers, patient, respectful. Again, not to earn God's favor. He already gave us his favor. Eternal life as a gift. We do this to follow him. The examples go on. They are found throughout Scripture and right here in this verse. We need to do what God does when we follow. Finally, one last thing to highlight about following. God makes disciples. We need to make disciples. He called us to make disciples. God's purpose in calling us, knowing us, and giving us eternal life, the purpose of our salvation 
is not forgiveness of our sins. He forgave our sins to be sure, and hallelujah for that. But that is not his purpose. The purpose of our salvation is that we would follow Christ and spread his message to the whole world so that he would be glorified in eternity. Ultimately, that is the purpose and is the reason that we have been saved and the reason that we follow so we can tell others and God can be glorified. Consider Jesus' last words in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It tells us the purpose and, it, and what it means to follow. Make disciples of all nations. This right here in Frederick is a nation. And there are people here that need to be told. All over the world and in our own backyard. That is the purpose of our salvation and what it means to follow. We follow the good shepherd so that others can follow us following him. So as we wrap up, don't leave here in suspense. Who is Jesus? He is God. He knows you. He is calling to you and offering eternal life. If you haven't heard that call before, hear it now. Realize you are a sheep. You are incapable of saving yourself. You need a Savior. And He is calling to you and offering eternal life. If you aren't following, ask yourself if you've heard the call. Believe that he has done all the work for you and he offers you eternal life as a gift. If you've heard the call, I hope you've been reminded that God knows you completely and he has secured you eternal life, secured your eternal life. It cannot be snatched, not even by ourselves. We are secure because he knows us, but he doesn't leave us there. He calls us to follow him and bring others along to follow us following him. Our eternity is not dependent on us calling others along. Christ did that all on his own. Our work brings nothing. His purpose in knowing us is not for our salvation alone, but that his message would spread to all. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you for calling us this morning, Lord. Thank you for knowing us this morning. Thank you for giving us eternal life, which we could not do on our own. Keep us humble to follow. Remind us that we alone are sheep. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate. Help us to love those around us, Lord. Help us to know that the people around us have not been put there by accident, Lord but that have been put there so that we might speak Jesus to them. And that that will bring you glory, Lord. Call out to us, Lord. Help us to hear your voice. If there are any here that don't know you, I pray that you would call out to them now, Lord, and that they would hear your voice for the first time. If there are any here that have strayed, Lord, bring them back to your flock. Help them to know that you go after those who have wandered, Lord. Help us all to know, Lord, that you, are God, that you are God and fully deserving of all glory. We pray all this in your Son, the Good Shepherd's name. Amen.